Hello and welcome to the Wittered Report podcast, where we empower business advisors to transform businesses. This podcast is your source for information and news you need for your accounting, bookkeeping, or tax practice. Don't forget to check out scalingnewheights.com for information about our conference in June. And if you subscribe to this podcast, we will have a special registration offer just for you coming up soon. And now your hosts, Joe Woodard and Heather Satterley. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to our podcast. Super excited to have Jason Stats with me today. Jason, welcome. Super excited to have a conversation with you. You bet. Let's do it. Let's do it. So I wanted to start. Um, I've been following you for several years now. We met, I don't know, I don't even know how long it's been. It's definitely been a few years. Um, And I think we met on social and then we finally met in person, I think, at QuickBooks Connect. Is that right? Probably, who knows at who this knows? point. I know, I know. So I wanted to just introduce, for those of you that, do, for those out there that don't know you, Jason, which seems kind of strange um, for me to even think about, um, could you tell us what's your story? So how did you find yourself where you are now? And for those of you that haven't met Jason, Jason is one of the leading influencers. Uh, he's been doing some really interesting things with accounting technology, uh, specifically automation, Zapier, uh, Make, uh, OpenAI, you know, all kinds of great things and experimenting with how we can leverage this type of technology in the accounting industry. And you're doing some really cool things. So how did you get here? What led you to all of the cool things that you're doing now? Uh, You're being very flattering, but Honestly, I've told you this before, back in the day, the thing that first turned me on to Zapier was a webinar that somebody I hadn't seen before named Heather Satterley was presenting on Zapier. And that like flipped a switch in my brain. I don't know, that was maybe five years ago. But my journey, uh, I spent a decade in the US doing tax work, the next five years doing running a, an accounting practice. Um, up until the end of last year, I was running a firm of 40 in Oregon. Uh, and a few years ago, I started sharing my journey online on Twitter mainly. And then for the last couple of years, been running a YouTube channel. And so it's just been a matter of me trying to publish consistently and um, made a really bunch of really cool relationships from that. That's fantastic. I mean, it's so fun. I feel like, you know, running a firm is fun in certain ways and it's not fun in other ways, but, you know, spending time with your peers and ideating and talking about, you know, new things and creating those relationships is a completely different experience, right? I mean, that must've completely changed your life. Oh, completely. Um, Yeah. The, if you're a leader in an accounting firm, what, what we do I think can be very isolating because you run a team who has a different set of demands on them and, and all that, that is different than your own. So we go through life without many people that fundamentally understand what we do. And when you can find that group of people who maybe run a firm like you, like yours, or have that like very high context understanding of what you do, like there's nothing, there's nothing more energizing than that to me. 
I, you know, I couldn't agree more. I think when I think back to my early days in accounting, you know, everything was based on how it had been done before. And it was very much, this is how we do things. You have to stick to the rules. You have to walk the line. And we've, we've really shaken free from a lot of that, or at least the cutting edge firms, I would say, have shaken, shaken free from a lot of that in the last, you know, 10, 10 or so years. Um, you know, I, I wonder, you know, you had recently posted, and this is going back to what, you know, the comment that you just made, you recently posted on Twitter, I think I just saw it like in the last couple of days, and you said that it was getting harder to explain to people what you do. (laughs) (laughs) I want to dig into that a little bit. So where was that coming from? I thought that was brilliant, because I think that as you start to move out of traditional accounting and, and doing the things that you're told to do, into actually ideating within accounting and looking at different things that you can bring to the profession, that does absolutely change who you are and what you do and, and your role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, uh, if you'd told me a few years ago, I'd be able to do what I do now. I would have thought that was just wild, like unthinkable. Uh, the idea that you can build a business around making silly stuff on YouTube and a daily show and, you know, all these the context of that tweet was a video clip of like a puppet and three, you know, three years ago I was running an accounting team and that was all I had ever done. I had never done any stuff on video. Um, so yeah, I, the thing I always harp on is in kind of the internet enabled era that we live in now, I think you have to be mindful of, the high leverage things that you do day to day and the low leverage things that you do day to day. And if all you ever do is client work, that one-to-one stuff where you're solving everybody else's problems and in some ways investing in yourself, but not necessarily in a high leverage way, then I think you're missing out on developing certain, you know, high leverage skills. Like I learned, I learned video production and that's why 80% of people know me now. That's why I have all these relationships and it's not because I'm a better firm runner or anything like that than anybody else. It's because I developed this adjacent skill set that was kind of a force multiplier for the things that I already knew. And like the people that we look up to in life, I think we generally look up to them because they have these adjacent skills. They're perceived as prolific at this thing, but they have these adjacent skills that actually draw you into them. So like Heather Satterley is phenomenal at running workshops and and teaching people how to do things in an accessible way. But everybody sees her as, you know, the Zapier whiz or or the automation whiz, right? But the only reason you you know that about Heather is because of that other ability that she's developed to kind of get that out there in a higher leverage way. So for the expertise you have, I think oftentimes we fundamentally like under leverage the ways that we can get that out there into the world. I, yeah, no, that's a really great point. I mean, it's, you know, oftentimes people will say, you know, you're, they, people call me the Zapier queen and there's so many amazing folks out there that are in the industry that aren't out on YouTube, aren't on Twitter, that aren't sharing their knowledge, that their, you know, their skills so far surpass my own. I mean, I can, Mm -hmm. I can Zapier. I'm not going to say I can't Zapier pretty well. But um, I look at some of the things that other people are doing and I'm just completely blown away. So you're right. It is that skill set of, you know, it's that skill set of being able to teach others. It's the willingness to share it 
right? And then putting yourself out there, which is terrifying, mm-hmm. right? If you were to ask me 10 years ago, if I would be doing this, I would have been, no, no way. I would, you know, I, I, I think I was terrified to put myself out there. Um, but I think once you become really passionate about something, you know, when I started dipping my toe in, and maybe you felt the same way, when I started dipping my toe into automation and I started to see what I was capable of doing and the new types of problems that I could solve for my clients, it's like I wanted everybody to know about it. I felt like it was that was my calling was I had to get out there and tell everybody, hey, there's this thing out here that's going to revolutionize the way that we work with our clients and you need to figure it out and go work with it and 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 leverage it. And mm-hmm. so do you find that's the same kind of the same thing that happened with you? Yeah, I mean, the, like the most rewarding aspect of what I do is just like having the opportunity and the platform to introduce people to things that can improve their lives and make what they do more sustainable. I think that's a big conversation in what we do right now. But no, like what it, it like it couldn't get any better than that. Like the to mm-hmm. have that to have that platform to be able to to help people and um, oftentimes you know help them kind of think through some of the squishier aspects of what we do, but, but then also like introduce them to, you know, really exciting stuff like Zapier and AI and just the stuff that's, that in my mind can't come soon enough. Awesome. I was reading this morning, you posted, uh, just a couple days ago about the on LinkedIn, this is your practice management system on, on AI. And that kind of folds into the next question that I was going to ask you. And you talk about the next five years in the article, but I was actually like making it a little bit shorter. Um, fast forward three years, what's going on in the accounting industry? Where are we? What are people doing? What is the newest thing? And what also is really new today that you feel is going to be, in, you know, something that's used in every single accounting firm? Oh, what a question. I, like, I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll frame this. I'll, I mean, if I knew the answer to this, I think you and I, we could go, you know, probably make a ton of money on on that, that crystal ball, right? Um, I'll frame this with, right now, everybody's guessing. Um, and oh, yeah. The, the easy thing to do here, honestly, is to be opinionated and to like see this through the frame of your understanding of the world and to take a position. I think the thing to acknowledge is nobody knows, um, but this feels different. Um, it, progress is progress, but this is probably compressed progress where it's happening faster than what we're used to in the past. And that's hard and, and uncomfortable, but, um, boy, uh, so the things that we're going to see in the next 12 months uh, will absolutely be uh, better discovery uh, and management of context. And so when I say context, if you think about all of the context of an accounting firm, that is your organizational email, that's transcripts from Zoom meetings, that's the contents of your files, that's your tasks, the requests that go to clients, all that stuff. One thing that has gotten much better in the last 12 months and it's built on kind of a concept called embeddings and vector search is the discovery of information that you already have and surfacing that in, in helpful ways. So, you know, the, the, the Holy grail here is for your practice management system to be able to see into that information and have like a single search experience kind of to rule them all. 
almost like a quick switcher that you have in Slack or something like that, where you can search for something and it's doing deep search into documents. It's doing deep search into that meeting transcript that they had with, you know, meeting with your colleague nine months ago, where they just kind of, as an aside mentioned, oh yeah, my kid is going to school next year. And now that informs how you're, you know, deciding whatever you're deciding. Uh, so the, the surfacing of context is going to change a lot. Um, uh, specifically around generative AI, I think how we communicate with clients is set to really, really change because when your system can see all that information and see all that context, it can actually then suggest a really intelligent way to respond to that client and suggest file attachments, even generate a new file attachment as a starting point for like a banker letter or something like that. Uh, those are both like 12 to 24 month things. Absolutely. Uh, a bigger bet thing. Um, and this may take some time to get going, but I think we'll actually move away from rules-based accounting systems mm -hmm. that we're used to now. So the age-old problem in the current cloud accounting paradigm is managing your bank rules or getting the team to make reliable bank rules and, and kind of what that looks like and, and creating bank rules so that those transactions can flow through how you want to right now is an entirely manual process. But that same technology we were just talking about, uh, embeddings and vector search, um, they will basically allow you to classify accounting transactions according to how it's been classified in the past. And so that's for every bank, bank transaction we've had that came through in the past that had Starbucks or some clipped version of Starbucks, you always coded it this way. You don't need to tell it that anymore. We, machine learning is much better so that it can just classify that stuff. And so I think that's going to be a really um, interesting change when it comes to what an accounting platform looks like when you remove uh, the majority of the classification that has to happen. Because traditionally, accounting platforms have largely been built around the classification and the reconciliation itself. And then mm -hmm. you've got all the other stuff around it, like reporting and stuff like that. But when that becomes a really small part of the overall experience, what is what is the platform on the other side of that look like? How is that fundamentally different then? Interesting. You know, there was a, <clears throat> and it's probably still around, I should probably Google it because I haven't looked at it in a while, but there's a product called Greenback that mm. was introduced, gosh, I want to say it was like 2017 at the App Showdown, um, into its App Showdown. And, and what it did was, and I'm, I, I'm guessing it's probably still around, but I haven't heard of it lately. But what it did is it actually imported from, um, from companies like Home Depot or Amazon, and it was able to pull in the item level detail from purchases. Mm -hmm. So what would be really interesting, and I think kind of builds on what you're saying, is if we had the ability in our accounting systems to actually look at that data when we're bringing in transactions, right? And cross-referencing cross, cross that, mm -hmm. um, think about the power of that, right? Because if I know that I'm, you know, if I know that uh, I purchased a webcam and a ream of paper, right, or a computer, and that was actually coming into my accounting system, talking about what you just said uh, with the search, it could identify what, you know, categorizations to assign just based on on those, you know, on that standardized, yeah. you know, classification. So 
I think that's where we're going. Yeah. Yeah. In the age of AI, whoever's got the most context wins. And so right. like in the, in the example of the practice management system, all that data now li- needs to live in the same system or you manage email. Otherwise, you're responding to emails without all that valuable context, right? Right. Same thing applies to accounting. So I, the, the folks that are thinking ahead right now on how AI works, it's kind of a, a land grab for context. So for example, whoever controls your documents has a massive advantage right now because documents will increase the quality of automated classification a lot. So yes. really, really any source of context becomes valuable, whether that's receipts or, or where you were or, or what was purchased. Um, and today, honestly, like G, like GPT, like is phenomenal at classifying based on, I mean, just a bank line for one. But if you can add in stuff like the detail of the receipt, that sort of thing, it's it gets really, really good. Yeah. No, it's going to be, I, I, I'm so excited about what is happening. One of the things that I have been a little, you know, I need to educate myself on because I'm not super educated in this space is the security of this. So with chat GPT, you know, common sense says you don't say, you know, you don't put in sensitive client, client information into chat GPT. But one of the things that just kind of popped into my head recently is cookies, right? When you are, you know, every time we go to a website, it asks, can we track information from other web websites you're visiting, right? From other things that you might be using in the cloud. So my question here is, is where are we at risk as far as cookies and, uh, you know, AI like chat GPT, which is really, you know, the AI language model thing, but where do we start to end up in a really scary situation where I go and log into my bank account or I log into something that, you know, has client sensitive information that maybe doesn't have, you know, great encryption and it starts pulling that into the AI language model. Is that possible? Um, not in the ways that, that people are working with language models today. That being said, like there's guidance, any sort of guidance around a specific tool, like has to be tool specific and even down to like the way you interact with it. So for example, the retention policies for chat GPT are different than the retention policies. If you use the API to talk with GPT. So just like any of the other apps that we use, you got to do your own due diligence on on the way that those different things work. AI isn't any different. There's a lot of, um, I do think that there's a lot of like spookiness around AI because it's a new thing. Uh, and there's a lot of analogies here too when we went from desktop to cloud and just general spookiness and unknowns. Um, but it is, I think it is fairly concrete. So for example, right now, like, all of the retention policies for OpenAI and GPT and all that is very explicit. Uh, like there is no ambiguity around that. With language models, um, most language models start life being trained on user prompts. And so some models that you use will continue to ingest prompts and train the model on that. Others won't. Right now, GPT, which is what most people are familiar with, if you use chat GPT, chat GPT, Prompts submitted via ChatGPT are used to train the model. Prompts submitted via the API are not used to train the model. That being said, even on the ChatGPT side, when those prompts are used to train the model, those prompts are anonymized. So any identifying information, addresses, names, that sort of thing, that's all stripped from it. And 
people have different answers for this, but generally anonymized information is not sensitive information. Like under GDPR, it's not considered personal information. So yeah, there's a, it's like a combination of, I would encourage people to lean into the normal due diligence that you do, but also like the standard common sense still applies of never give a program more information than it actually needs. So like, for example, I've, I've shared examples of how GPT is really good at taking a bank statement and giving you a CSV export for it. Does this phenomenally well. And that's a great example where you're going to copy and paste that stuff into chat GPT. Copy and paste the transaction activity. Don't copy and paste the entire bank statement where it shows like the account number at the top, right? Like merchant descriptions are the same for everybody. Like there's nothing sensitive about that. So still follow like the best practices of not unnecessarily giving something more information than it needs. Yeah, no, I, you know, that's exactly what chat GPT told me the other day when I asked it. <laughs> so what happens if I give you my social security number, my name, are you going to now share that with the world and said almost exactly what you just said. So it knows. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's great. Yeah. And it like you, you don't want to rely on trusting it to anonymize the information, right? right? Because like, who knows if it doesn't get it right. But it's also is a lot of those conversations just boil down to don't give it the sensitive stuff, like find the ways no. yeah. to yeah. leverage it without that. And the words, you know, the other thing that we're starting to see uh, a ton of is people starting to monetize, uh, teaching people how to correctly prompt. And there is an art to that. I mean, there's definitely an art to that to get, you know, to be ask a really concise prompt that's going to give you the results you're looking for quickly. Because if, I mean, I've definitely had my experiences with ChatGPT where I didn't phrase it well and it took me, you know, four, five, 10 times to actually drill down to get the right answer. Eventually I did. Eventually I was able to figure out where it wasn't understanding me. So that's interesting. Um, are, have you seen any of those types of courses? Is there any that you recommend? And I know you have a platform called Realize, right? Which is a training platform that is very different from other types of training platforms. Is that something that you're looking to, to offer? Yeah, so Realize is, it's a private community for firm leaders. And it's more a, I try to frame it more as a peer-to-peer community. So I don't market it at all. The only way people find out about it is when they're like really deep in my content. And the result is it's become a very specific type of group that are are interested in, in um, I don't know, they come in with that common ground and that makes that a fun space to be in. There is a lot of ongoing educational stuff going on in there, but it's not like it's not like a, a Jason training hub sort of thing. Gotcha. Um, around prompt engineering, I haven't seen uh, any in our space. Uh, one guy on Twitter that I follow, his name is Rob Lennon. He's a writer and he's shared some phenomenal prompting around... Um, using GPT as your editor and, and writing and stuff like that. Um, but prompt engineering is absolutely a learned skill and it's about to get even more significant. The, I mean, the tools that we use that are integrating AI and GPT, what they're doing is largely prompt engineering because there's only one right. channel into the language model. And so like, it's not as if there's, there's really much variation in the ways that it's used the variation is in how you communicate your expectation of it so that's absolutely a learned thing um that is i mean it's it's a skill worth investing in right now i think 
No, I, I agree. And there's there's a, a guy named Nicholas. <clears throat> I hope I'm pronouncing this right. Nicholas um, Boucher or Boucher, and he is actually selling a, uh, a, a an instruction guide called "Leverage AI to Boost Your Productivity and Accelerate Your Career." It's Chat GPT for finance. So haven't read it yet. We have it. We bought it. And I'm going to look at it and see cool. see what it does. But I agree with you that that prompting is is really important. I I, I just built a uh, an automation for social media um, where it's taking the Woodard report uh, Woodard report blog articles and then I'm running that through OpenAI yeah. and I've tweaked it several times because it does a good job. But then I come up with a way that if I ask an additional prompt, it can actually get even better. And it's not fully automated. I still have to go in and check it. I have to check its work at this point. But, you know, as a team, we realize that, you know, that <clears throat> that will eventually become completely automated and we won't have to do that once we, we get the prompts right. But there's just little things like, you know, asking it to include, it makes stuff up. I mean, we both know that it makes up information that doesn't exist or it pulls yep. incorrect information. So it is not at the point now where you can just set it and forget it. Um, but it certainly makes short work of that process for me and our team when we're doing our social posts. It gives us a, a running head start, which is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So. it's it's going to be one of those things where some people will take the time to learn it and other people will happily pay for the output or, you know, have somebody else do it for them. This morning, I wrote a prompt to generate like pseudo tax source documents that you can use for training purposes to plug into a tax return, complete with like client emails and government forms and weird kind of fringe sort of things. And, you know, that can be that can be a big, long prompt that you developed and let people use. Or you can just also just take the output and like share. Here's here's the output. Yep stuff for training or whatever. So yeah, I do think it's worth learning. Um, but as with as with all things, yeah, it's maybe it depends on maybe it depends on your role, maybe it depends day to day, but I'm sure we'll have people kind of on both sides of that. All right. So you've done a ton with chat GPT and, and AI. What's the coolest thing? What's the number one coolest thing that you've done that you're like, wow. Oh, coolest thing. Um <clears throat> There's so many. I don't know. They're the extracting transactions from bank statements. That was a biggie because that's, that's something that I otherwise have to use a paid service for. That's a real pain in the neck. Um, I would probably say ultimately what I appreciate chat TPT, the, what I appreciate about that the most and what will have the most long-term relevance is its ability to do the little things that fall in, fall in kind of the gaps of what the tools you use every day will never support. So I guess the most tactile example of this is like, I've got this kind of recurring joke Twitter thread that I do where I, I'm hiring this new intern named Steve and Steve is ChatGPT and I'm gonna throw various tasks at him. So a two paragraph email from a client that describes their accounting that they now need to send a set of financial statements to a banker for, or, you know, this like uh, Excel sheet of 50 transactions that is not structured in a helpful way. Check that to chat GPT and say, give me a balance sheet and a profit and loss for this. Uh, I think even though this isn't, this isn't a super like clear and explicit answer. I think the beauty of that longer term is going to be all the, all of the fiddly little things like the client specific things or the stuff that you're the tools you have 
will never adopt and never really be able to help you with. I think for me, that's the greatest application of it right now. And, um, you know, there's big differences in how GPT-4 performs versus 3.5. Right now you have mm-hmm. to be on the paid GTP, GPT plus to get GPT-4. 20 bucks a month, absolutely worth it for me. Um, but Agreed. yeah, stuff like being able to roll up 50 transactions into a new balance sheet and P&L and, you know, do that correctly on the first time. Like there's just a lot of fiddly little things like that where it can be a time saver. Fantastic. Yeah. All right. So Jason, who are your influ- influencers? So who are the who are the people you follow and who should everybody else be following? Oh, who are the people I follow right now? Um, I draw a lot of inspiration out, outside of the accounting space, just around different domains. So like, um, you know, around like building a creator business, there's, you know, people I look up to around there, like Colin and Samir is the main thing. And so I kind of like, I look at the different, I guess, domains of the things that I do from podcasting to video to accounting stuff. And, and it's probably sort of segmented accordingly. Um, in terms of like automation and all that and the accounting space, like my buddy, Chad Davis has always been like the, that guy's just the gold star. He's an absolute wizard, uh, with no code stuff now with AI stuff. Like he's just one of those people where the more you talk to them and realize the depth of expertise they have on it, it just kind of blows your mind because they kind of see the world in a different way as a result. Uh, I talked with Hector Garcia yesterday. That guy's still just like the goat of accounting YouTube um, and a really fascinating guy to talk to who's running an accounting firm, but also has a YouTube channel with a quarter million subscribers. Right. And what that means and how it changes uh, just kind of how you approach your day to day. Um, I don't know. Did that answer the question? Who, who, it did. Who, who, no. who are your influencers right now? Who are my influencers? Well, yeah. you're one of my influencers for sure. Um, Hector, of course. Um, you know who I really love uh, following is Heather Smith. Uh, uh-huh. She's fantastic. Um, yeah, those are those are folks that I'm really kind of paying attention to now. And then there's some new ones that that I've been kind of taking a look at. Oh. So yeah, I mean it's it's an exciting time, and I feel like it's just going to get more exciting. Um, if you were going to give one piece of advice to somebody, right, who was in accounting that was looking to dip their toe in automation, kind of become an, maybe become an expert, but start by dipping their toe, what would you tell them? What would you say? Uh, you gotta, you just gotta find the place where those conversations are happening every day and you're not gonna, you, you will look at like. Heather and maybe some of the stuff that I talk about and it's t- like, it's terrifying and it feels a hundred miles away, but like you, you got to start somewhere. And, um, like I said, it's easy to be opinionated about AI. Uh, AI will really significantly change what we do over the next 36 months. And it's one thing to be displaced by the change. And it's another thing to change in order to like ensure, you know, that kind of the, the, the relevance of what you do and what you sell. And to me, the greatest, the thing that's going to protect you from that is simply education, like being plugged into what's happening and what you need to be aware of. 
And it may take you on a path where you do end up having to change, but that's still a lot better than being displaced by change. Oh, uh, I, I couldn't agree more. Um, I could not agree more. You know, at 10 years ago when I started, you know, I was working with, with, with clients that needed integration needs and I was working with developers. I just felt at such a disadvantage because I'm, I'm not a developer and yeah. they could do things for my clients that I couldn't do. And one of the things that I committed myself to was becoming informed as much as I could and at least staying aware of what was happening in that space. And you're right. What that did is that kept me relevant and I was able to move a little bit ahead of the curve. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely agree. So where, where are these people hanging out? Where, they, where should they go? So if people are looking to, to listen, obviously the Woodard Report podcast, we're talking the, about the it. The Woodard Report podcast, number one, for sure. Uh, of course. The, I think it'll be, I think it'll be interesting. I think, and like, again, similar to cloud accounting and that transition, I think you'll have a kind of new category of thought leadership of people who come of age and and of prominence specifically around AI and how that's different and what it looks like to run a firm post AI. But also product leadership will be completely different. Desktop companies didn't know how to build SaaS, right? And so there's, I mean, Bill Gates' annual letter said basically you're never going to see UIs like you do today again. There isn't a need for all the buttons. There isn't a need for the way that apps work right now because all that stuff's being simplified semantically, either through voice or through chat. So like all of the products we use today, 80% of the things we see on the screen like are no longer necessary. And we're now in this transitional point where we're getting to what that new version looks like. And half the products out there today will make that transition. The other half of what we use in the future, they're probably just getting going right now because they are they are kind of being born from that AIH. So they'll do it really, really well. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's just a matter of making sure you're hitching your wagon to the product folks who actually who have their fingers on the pulse, um, because ultimately it's going to be those products that ensure that what you do stays relevant, but also the people out there who are trying to be constructive about the conversation and, and help, you know, kind of progress that education every day. That's absolutely a big point of my daily show is just like when I was running a firm that was really isolating for me. And that, that show is, it's really cheesy to say, but is like kind of the friend that I needed when I was in that, like really like, Oh my gosh, this isn't fun. I feel really isolated doing this kind of space. Um, so like stuff like that, that you can plug into where, it's not like to me a matter of sitting down and doing an eight, eight hour workshop and saying, okay, now I understand AI because next week it's going to be different. It's more about like, what is like, what are you going to be plugged into? Cause we're fundamentally programmed by the things we consume, right? How can you be mindful of what you're consuming so that 12 months from now, you're going to be at least aware of everything that's going on and nothing's going to take you by surprise. I, you know, my friend, Brian Clare, he said to me once, his strategy was uh, to set aside what he called tinker time. And that was life-changing for me. And I, I, I kind of realized that I did it, but I didn't do it consistently. Mm-hmm. And so what he had said, what he does is he put aside it's a certain time of, you know, in the week, certain day and time where he just devoted an hour or two to looking at what was new and actually going and reading articles and doing. And I think that's a huge thing. And it sounds like you do the same thing. So it's making room for that because if you do get into 
you know, working in your business and just doing the client work and not looking beyond, you know, what's right in front of you, you do feel alone, you do become isolated and you're being fed whatever, you know, whatever lands in your email box, right? Mm-hmm. You've got to expand it. So, so how do they follow you? How can people follow you, Jason? Well, there's way too much of me out there. So I th- I'm probably pretty <laughs> easy to find. Um, the Daily Show specifically, you can just search Jason Daily on YouTube or your podcast player and you'll find it there. Um, but yeah, Tinker Time. I think my version of Tinker Time, which what an adorable name for that, right? that we can attribute to Brian Clare. Uh, my version of that is I get to a point in the afternoon where I'm like running out of steam. I'm at like my medical limit of caffeine for the day. Uh, and I try to put that stuff at the end of the day. So I have this thing to look forward to. And I like, I will, I will like play for the last half hour or hour of my day. Uh, because reality is at the end of my day, even if I tried to work, I'm operating at like 20% efficiency at that point. So there's almost no point. Mm-hmm. But if it's something I'm excited about and energized about, like that will actually be productive time that otherwise wasn't productive. That's awesome advice. Love that. Well, Jason, thank you so much. This was super fun. We need to do this more often. You bet. Thanks for having me. All right. All right, everybody. Thanks for for tuning in. Uh, We'll leave some information in the podcast on how you can get a hold of Jason and follow him. And we'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us. For more information, please visit woodard.com slash podcast.